Yo, yo, yo! What up, friends? PGA Championship Week. Welcome to Part B of the Major Report. For those of you who missed out on Part A, it was released Saturday. Three great guests, Jeff Feinberg, Rob, uh, the Sports Gambling Podcast boys who run the Golf Gambling Podcast, hopped in for a little player spotlight. That's out now. Go check that out on YouTube. I also put a video up of just me and Feinberg earlier today going over the favorites. So tonight, we're going to kind of shift gears. Here's who I got lined up tonight. It's a special crew. Andy Lack's going to give you an in-depth course preview. Him and I are going to discuss what we saw on all of our research on Southern Hills. Rick Gaiman, the man himself, is going to join me to talk the middle of the odds boards. That's going to be fantastic. Pat Perry is going to give us some long shots. Jason Rosslin's going to stop by from Osimo.com who's going to talk projections in terms of ownership and potential pivots. Now, before we get started, I got something I want to talk about. Jock market. If you haven't tried it, this is the week, and here's why. Um, I'm going to share my screen here just a second and kind of take you through essentially what it is. Um, this is what it looked like last week for me. So if you haven't tried it out yet, it is essentially stock market DFS. Hideki Matsuyama, you see I had 14 shares of Ryan Palmer. These are all payouts, and they are running a special promotion this week only, a pros versus Joe. You got it. I finished 30th in this contest. I finished 217th the week before. If you're able to beat me in terms of ROI for the week, they're going to add 20 bucks to your account. Not to mention, I'm going to give you $100 if you haven't tried this thing out. Jockmarket.com slash Joe, $100 deposit match, and you will get an entry into that contest as well. I'm basically handing you 120 bucks. You can cash it out next week if you'd like. Um, but that is my gift to you on this PGA Championship week. Here's what it looks like. Jockmarket.com slash Joe. You download the app. The promo code's already punched in for you. You deposit. They match the funds. Okay. Now, I want to talk briefly about Southern Hills. Because um, here's a couple of things that I've noted. This is the course layout, and I talked a little bit about this with Andy. But here's the big thing that we didn't cover because a lot of this was shot earlier. The wind. Um, it's fierce, and we touched on it a little bit. But what you look at is today, essentially, you'll see it's a northern wind, which is coming to the south. Starting tomorrow, that kind of shifts, and it goes back to the north. Um, and Thursday, Friday in particular is bad. Saturday doesn't look great. Sunday doesn't look great. It ships back to the south. But a couple things to keep in mind, if you look here at kind of how these holes will play out, number nine right here, number 18 right here, you see these two green complexes. I noted these things are like 15 yards apart, which is unbelievable to even fathom right in front of the clubhouse there those are both going to be playing directly into the wind thursday friday saturday um, that's going to be a 514 yard par four to close that is directly into the heart of the wind uh, potentially 45 mile an hour gust that's big here's my picks so far so i released two of these with feinberg i have an old patrick cantlay ticket which i'm kind of counting but I want some fresh blood. I took Jordan Spieth last week that I mentioned with him at 23 to 1. That's all the way down to 18. And my other guy is Hideki. Um, I got that number at 45 last week. I realized that that's crashed a little bit. This is the odds checker grid. It looks like the best available right now is 33. I still like it. Um, the reason that I like these guys is at the Masters, I kind of avoided the narrative of guys just playing great golf. And I think I've maybe overthought things and overanalyzed a little bit. They're all playing great. Spieth just got a victory at the Heritage, backed it up last week with a great performance. 
Uh, Patrick Cantlay just got that win sort of at the Zurich, and he's been looking fantastic lately. I trust both of their short games. I trust their iron play right now, and I and I like their putter. I saw a little bit of positive signs last week out of Spieth. Even though he didn't hold it, it's going to be cringeworthy for Spieth for 72 holes. It's not going to look pretty. It's probably going to look much prettier for Patrick Cantlay, but I expect them both to be on the leaderboard. And Hideki just looked absolutely um, dialed in, surgical with the irons all last week. I expect that to continue. Now, here's the thing. I'm going to add one more. Um, I'm thinking about Cam Smith. I'm thinking about DJ. But I do think it's advantageous if you've got a couple out there Wait till the tee times drop because um, with wind in the forecast like this, it's unlikely to be blowing 35, 40 miles an hour for eight straight hours. Now, they're predicting that now five days in advance, but um, come that day, there's probably going to be a wave that gets hit with 35 mile an hour winds. And as we get closer, we may know more and one with 15 a la maybe a similar to what we saw at the Players Championship. I mean, this isn't like borderline small tornado force winds. Um, so I want to get a guy with opposite tee time, basically of the, the two that I have now. So if Spieth and Cantlay, for instance, are stacked in the morning wave, I may want to look and be the deciding factor in that third pick to someone in the afternoon, just so I don't have all three or four of my guys in that same wave. I think that's probably a good move for you too. Without further ado, let's get into a little bit of the course. Here's me and Andy Lack uh, breaking down a course preview for you. Enjoy. I got a lot of stuff. It's going to be long. I'll timestamp it all. Feel free to fast forward to the parts that you want to listen to. I appreciate you. Like and subscribe. Thank you so much for checking this out. Here's me and Andy. All right. All right. Let's do the course preview. You've all been waiting for it. The one, the only. He was here with me every step of the way for the major report the last time. We're bringing him back to kind of dive right into his specialty. And he's played the course. He's got all the information you're ever going to want to need here. Um, the one, the only. Welcome back, Andy Lack. What's up, dude? Not much, man. Joe, how are you? It's a pleasure. I'm doing wonderful. I'm excited to get this thing going. We were just talking a second ago. It feels like since the Masters, it's been really hard to get the engine revved up in some of these tournaments that we've been seeing. But I can't wait for Southern Hills. And frankly, I can't wait to hear your thoughts on the golf course and how you think it's going to play. Yeah, so I actually, I think this is going to be the tournament of the year from a from a viewing standpoint. And not... I, no, I don't even say that just like, obviously the architecture people like me are going to go crazy over some of the topography and short grass stuff. But I think even if you're not into that, I think some of the shots that we're going to watch these players hit are not shots that you would really ever see players have to hit on the PGA tour. We're talking a lot of elevation changes. There's not many flat lies on this golf course. I remember when I played it, one of the biggest things that stood out to me, one of the, the biggest changes that Gil Hance made was he leveled off a lot of the greens, Joe. So if you're missing a green by two or three feet, like there's a chance that you're rolling 30 yards down a hill and having to hit this very awkward recovery shot off of short grass um, that you just players aren't really used to, right? It, it's not track mm -hmm. man golf by any means. So I'm super, super excited for this week, man. 
So one of the things I wanted to start with was before the Hans renovation, right? So an early uh, Great Depression era Perry Maxwell design that over the years, as they basically went through several reiterations on um, redoing and renovating this thing, they tr what they attempted to do to make it harder was basically let's corridor these fairways with more and more trees. Let's narrow this thing up. Let's bring the rough up. And what they found, in my opinion, was that really didn't work. Um, so kind of what Hans did, and actually I believe it was Keith Foster before him, right. um, really kind of tried to restore it to its original roots. And that's one of the challenges these guys go through with these old classical golf courses, and you know much more about it than me, is to maintain the soul of the golf course and the original intentions of it, but keep it feasible for major championship PGA Tour type play. How do you think he did here, in your opinion, and how do you foresee this thing playing out? Well, first of all, I think you I think you did an excellent job of of summarizing it, man. That's that's exactly right. So Gil Hans has done this at a lot of courses, right? And we're actually going to see it. The we're going to see the exact same thing at the U.S. Open in a couple of weeks. He did the same thing at Wingfoot as well, right? So basically, his goal is he wants to restore, as you mentioned, the original intent of the designer, which is. Perry Maxwell, who is, you know, one of considered probably one of the greatest minds when it comes to golf course design from the golden age. He, you know, he's done a lot of work with Alistair McKenzie. I think the Augusta national comparisons are probably going to go pretty crazy this week. And I think they're well-founded, right? Those were two guys that worked together in building crystal downs. Maxwell um, did some work on Augusta as well. They come from the exact same school of design. The issue, as you mentioned, is that there's a lot of things that happen to golf courses over years. And a lot of that is because of irrigation issues. A lot of that is because of weather, you know, Tulsa has probably the widest spectrum of weather, uh, in, in the country and where it's located and in terms of how hot it gets in August and how cold it gets in winter. What that does, Joe, is it gives incredibly, incredibly difficult turf conditions to maintain. Um, and their superintendent, Russ Myers, who actually spent a lot of time at Augusta does an incredible yeah. job. There's another Augusta feather in the cap, but anyway, um, you know, what happens to golf courses over time and what Gil Hans had to change is you're right. Like it, it's very easy for the biggest thing is like because of bunkers around the green and sand splashes, greens start to build up these kind of bulges and edges over time and they kind of harden on the sides and it creates this bowl like effect, right? So if you hit close to the back of a green, it kind of hits the bowl and rolls back into the center. What Hans did was he leveled off all of those edges, right? So it's almost like a tabletop feel now, kind of like you see at Pinehurst. So if you're kind of right on the edge of the green, if you hit an approach shot, it could bounce in the other direction. It could bounce on the green, right? And I think the best thing that Hans talked about it. Sorry, I know I'm rambling here. There's a no, lot of no, you, you asked no me like you asked me my favorite question in the world. But um, you know, the biggest thing that Hans talked about was how do we eliminate predictable outcomes for professional golfers, right? Because these guys work so hard there, and he did a great job of explaining this in in one of the Friday egg, egg interviews he did. I'm paraphrasing here. But these guys work their entire life, Joe, to, you know, 
what happens when I hit a seven iron, 189 yards with this launch angle and this spin rate, and it draws three yards from a flat line and does this like because of technology, golfers have never had more control over their golf ball in their entire life, right? What short grass around the greens does and firm and fast conditions, it eliminates predictable outcomes, right? So, so players don't know what happens when their ball is going to hit the ground. And we don't ever see that on the PGA Tour, Joe. So that's kind of why I'm fired up. That's kind of why the architecture people are fired up about this one. But again, even if you're not into that stuff, I still think you're going to have a fantastic time viewing this course. No, I absolutely love it. And I think you're 100% spot on there. And I think hands is 100% spot on there. And what makes a golf course um, difficult? We've talked about it many times. It's not length. It's not. Uh, there. I, I just watched, and we're recording this on Saturday afternoon. I just watched um, Joaquin Neiman play a 480-yard par-4 driver sand wedge. Ryan Palmer, who's not long by any stretch of the imagination, played the same whole driver pitching wedge. So length is not the answer. I think you hit it the nail on the head. And the answer is um, eliminating predictable outcomes. And when there's rough surrounding the greens, these players have a spectrum, I believe, that they know, like you mentioned, 175-yard shot. They've hit it a million times on a driving range. They know their miss. And they know if they miss it five yards left or five yards right, it's going to be fine. But what you don't get Pounding the driving range in buckets for six straight hours is the 175-yard shot that comes back to 135 yards or 175-yard shot that bounces over to 195 because of a steep downslope. That is what I think is going to make this thing play really cool. That is what I think is going to make this thing play really hard. And I'm super excited that they chose to bring a championship back to this golf course. I believe it was was not originally on the schedule. I think it was Trump Bedminster and then right. that whole thing. And they kind of subbed it in, in the process of, of having Hans come in and do this facelift. Um, and I'm excited for it. I, I honestly think the PGA championship going back the last three years has provided Kerry Hagan's team provided probably the best championship. It used to be, you know, the stepchild and now from Beth page to Harding park, to what we saw last year at Kiowa Island. Um, it has provided complete excitement and really fun golf courses and really exciting, compelling golf on TV. I'm with you, Joe. And I, I thought they did a, an excellent job with Kiowa last year, which is a golf course that I don't even like as much as I like Southern Hills. So I think what's going to be interesting to see this week is there's a lot of options with this golf course, right, Joe? Mm -hmm. Like, I think a lot of people are going to spend a lot of time trying to figure out how long these holes are. Well, the reality of the situation is I think the holes are going to play different yardages every single day. Like mm -hmm. the two par five, and a lot of it also depends on the wind, right? We're getting a southeasterly wind, which means that's going to, there's going to be a lot of crosswind on a lot of these holes. The people in Tulsa say that's one of the most challenging winds to have on this golf course. So I think depending on the wind, they just have a lot of options on this course, right, Joe? Like 17 is a fantastic 370-ish yard hole, right? But if they want to make that a drivable par four, they can do that. 10 is another hole where they can move the tee box around. Both the par fives are six over 630 yards. I would be shocked if they didn't move the tees up um, at least one of those days, especially 13, which would play downwind in a, in a southeasterly wind. And then just on 18, Joe, I probably played hundreds of golf courses in my entire life. I've been playing golf since I was six years old. I think 18 might be the hardest golf hole I've ever played in my life. 
at Southern Hills. I can't think of one off the top of my head that's more difficult. And what you mentioned there, I think, is great because the finishing stretch of par four. So, so sixteen is normally a par five, correct? And they the plan is to play it as a par four. Am I right on that? You're right on that. Okay, so I think it's a great closing stretch of par fours. The more that I look at it, because fifteen and seventeen are going to be birdie opportunities, and you have the room for excitement. You mentioned seventeen could be that drivable par four, but sixteen and eighteen are going to be brutes. And especially if we have that south wind, because if you look, 18 heads directly south. So if the mm-hmm. wind is heading north, and, and let's just get right into it right now, very early on in the process. But it looks like like I'm looking at Friday, and I'm seeing 45-mile-an-hour gusts, sustained winds of 25 mile an hour heading directly north. So that 500-yard par 4 that is sort of to that uphill finish, is going to be an absolute brute of a finishing hole. Yeah, speaking, um, I, I was able to stay in touch with the the caddy that I played with there. Yeah. And, and um, he he's I've been texting him a little bit. And I asked him about the wind yesterday because it was the first time that it kind of came onto my radar. I looked at the wind forecast, and you look at the gusts, it's like up to 45 miles per hour, right? And, and steady yeah. wind between the kind of 15 to 25 mile hour rate especially on like friday and, and saturday and, and thursday too it's it's absolutely brutal and he said you know the biggest challenge for them right now at the course is going to be they're not concerned about protecting par whatsoever i mean i think that we're probably in the ballpark i think you're right the pga has done a really good job of kind of allowing the golf course to play as it should be and not really worrying too much about the score. We've seen the USGA fall into traps before where they've been so, so concerned about getting the score to a certain number. And the real trick to that is if, if you set up the golf course, right, you don't really have to worry about target score because it's just going to play the way that it should play. And if a guy wins at minus 12, it's awesome. And if a guy wins at plus one, it's awesome. If anything, what they have to worry about now is they're probably going, they're certain, like an eight, for example, is like a 240 yard par three potentially into the wind. Like that, they're going to have players are either going to have to hit drivers or they're going to have to move the tees up. So if anything, Joe, if I had to make a prediction, right? Like I would say, uh, and my caddy said this to me when we played, when I played this too, he said, I'd sign for even. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, it depends. They may set it up a little, they may move some tees up to make it a little bit more playable. So these pros aren't containing, but I think like, if you're, if you're asking any player on the PGA tour, who's seen this course, if they'd sign for like minus four, I, I think everyone probably would, man. Yeah. So interesting. I, I listened to a little bit of, uh, I read a little bit up on, on some comments that Russ Myers, the superintendent made as well. Um, so, so 2007, when Tiger won this thing, only five guys finished under par that week. Tiger won at minus eight. Um, Russ kind of said, if you're looking for an idea of what this thing's going to play like and going to look like, how about going back a year last year to the senior PGA championship, Alex Cheka won minus eight, same exact winning score, ironically to what Tiger did only seven guys finished under par there that week. Um, I doubt any of them are going to have to deal with the type of, of weather conditions. If this wind comes in, that could very well make even par be an incredible score, even more so. Um, talk to me a little bit about walk me through the opening stretch of holes, because I always feel like Andy, when, when the scoring is, is really tough and you start to get around five to 10 to par, um, 
under is going to to provide potentially hoisting a trophy getting off to a good start is of the utmost importance and they really have an interesting set of holes kind of to begin this walk me through maybe like the first three or four holes as guys come right out of the gate so this course punches you and this course punches you right off the bat i mean one is this awesome kind of dog leg curving uh it curves, it looks on the camera like I'm going right, but it curves left around the trees. It's a big hole. I mean, they could set it up as 450. They could probably have it play closer to 480 if they wanted to, too. But you're teeing off from the highest point of the entire property right below the clubhouse. Yeah. And you have this like big, it's almost like, do you remember the first hole at Riviera? Yes. Where you're right below the clubhouse and you're kind of teeing off and in front of everyone. So I think probably if you're there, that's going to be a really fun scene to watch uh, players tee off one. And you, it's kind of starts off strong, Joe, like it's right there. That is a stout par four. Two is a difficult hole, right? The, both the par threes on the front nine, Joe, are really, really challenging. Eight, and I believe the other one is five, I want to say, are both really long, challenging par threes. Um, I think it's going the par five on the front nine too. I mean, I don't know if they're going to move the tees up, but that's not a birdie hole. I mean, the par the, the par five is not a it's going to it's a three shot hole. Yeah, and the wedge is going to be tough. Seven is a really tough hole, and one of the great things that Hans did was he restored um, a lot of the creek. So like now on seven, the creek is completely in play. I when I played eight, I went into the water. Like it, it rolled off the green and right mm. into the creek. And that's, you know, that's a 200 yard shot um, with kind of a very shaved off tabletop green with water with a creek right below. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a very, very, very tough start. Um, I think there are probably a couple more birdie opportunities on the back nine just because there are a couple more shorter par fours, but um, it's going to be tough. And, and I will say this one more thing to add, like, a lot of the holes on the front nine, I think they are better for a draw ball flight. I was going to um, ask you that. Yeah, I think one, you definitely want to be hitting a draw. Two, three. Yep. Seven, you could make seven. You could make a case for both the par threes, I guess, depending on the win. But yeah, you know that was that was something I was thinking about a little bit more, which makes sense, right? Because a lot of um, that like. Augusta favors a draw, like a lot of McKenzie's courses favor a draw. Um, and Maxwell kind of has a lot of the same same thinking in, in that respect. Yeah, it's interesting. It looks like uh, five as well, depending on where you go, definitely moves right to left. I was laughing because I'm imagining like that's such a, as being a guest there, when you were a guest, it's always such a nervy like opening tee shot when the first tee is right by the clubhouse there and all the members are looking down at you and you've got to hit one from the top of the hill there. But yeah, I think it it does, it appears to me, and I'm glad you brought that up, is that it does sort of favor a draw. And I think some of it may even go back to like that age of, of a player, you know, when he's sort of designing this versus this new age golfer that we see that predominantly always hits, um, you know, a big high cut, the majority of the guys at the top do now. Um, there's still some guys, of course, Rory, there's still some guys up there that, that will hit that high draw which I think could be advantageous, particularly for players like that who want to jump out to a top to like a, a, a quick start. Yeah. And, you know, I like, for example, Augusta favors a draw as well. And I, um, you know, I, I, 
I think this maybe there are a couple more holes that I would say it's tough to tell whether this one is more predominantly than Augusta, but you get a player like Colin Morikawa, who, you know, he's talked about it before and said, you know, the first couple times that I played Augusta, JT said something along these lines too. I was told that I kind of need to hit a draw and I, it kind of got in my head and I, and I tried to hit shots that I'm not usually comfortable hitting. And then, you know, I kind of just this time around, I went back to saying, you know what, I'm just going to play the golf shots that I know how to play. I'm such a good iron player that whether it comes in from the left and cuts five yards or draws five yards, like I'm still going to be fine. And what do you know, Morikawa finishes fourth at the Masters, So I don't think it's a situation. I think it definitely helps. Like, uh, yeah. you're right. A player like Rory um, Hovland hits a really, really nice high draw with those, with those. I mean, he could work it both ways too, but, mm-hmm. um, and, and, but I don't, I don't kind of think it's, it's a deal breaker, right? Because you're right. A lot of the top guys, Brooks predominantly hits a cut. Uh, Rom predominantly hits a cut. Morikawa, right? So, you know, a lot of these guys, I think they're going to have un- un- a lot of uncomfortable shots, right? Because it's yeah. it's not a flat golf course. It's There's undulation everywhere. Yeah, and, and you know, we say that, and, and I kind of even want to walk it back a little bit. Like, there's really one hole on, a, on Augusta anymore, I feel like, that y- you have to hit a draw on 13. But, like, even two anymore, like, you can hit it. If you hit it high enough, you can hit a cut in there. Like you can hit a cut on ten at Augusta anymore, even though they have that hard jet leg out. To, of course, it helps, and I think it may widen some of your your landing areas in terms of the amount of room you can roll out if you hit that certain ball flight. But I think anymore these guys are so long. I want to ask you about the real defense is going to be around and on the greens. Are these super? Are we expecting Augusta National type undulations on these greens? How fast do you expect them to be running? Are we looking at lightning quick speeds? Um, are they big? Are they small? Are there various unique hole locations they can put this on? As a person who's played the course, give me a little insight on, on the greens. Yeah, so Maxwell is famous uh, for you know the undulations and kind of the subtle internal breaks that, that he creates on the greens. They're called Maxwell rolls. Um, I think Augusta is a good comp. These greens are smaller than Augusta. Um, These greens are like around 5,200 square feet. Augusta's, I think, are around like 64, 65. And they actually play smaller than they are, Joe, because, you know, if you're not hitting it dead center in the green, there's a very good chance that you're going to kind of roll off kind of like you see at Pinehurst, right? So these are very, very um, small greens and they're undulating too. I mean, you know, one mistake that I think people are going to make this week that I think is that I've been struggling with as well is like, how do you simulate, how do you project, how do you model? We're focused on gambling and DFS, right? Like, yeah. how do you, how do you project how players are going to be around the greens and putting here? Because this isn't like chipping at any other PGA Tour course. The shots that you're going to have to hit and the putts that you're going to have to hit, there's no real way to simulate it. So I spent a lot of time looking at how players have done on and around the greens at Augusta. I think Augusta is, in terms of kind of the subtle internal breaks, I think Augusta is is really good. And again, these are smaller greens in Augusta, but I think there's a lot of similarities there in terms of the chip shots off of short grass you're going to have to hit. And then I'll give you another really good one, Joe. 
Yeah. Um, I don't know if you remember the 2018 U.S. Open at Shinnecock, but that's another oh, yes. golf. That's another golf course that I've played, and I kept thinking about. I kept drawing the similarities in my head. I remember um, after I played Southern Hills, I was like, "Damn, that had a lot of Shinnecock in it." In terms of Shinnecock has the short grass around the green. Shinnecock yeah. is really the the only like if you remember at the 2018 US Open Joe, you saw that where players were confused all the time. They would miss an iron shot by a Wasn't couple like of the yards first and, hole. Yep. You was coming way back. Yeah. Exactly. And the ball's coming back down to their feet. Like yeah. that we don't have strokes gained from Shinnecock. Um, but I think that's a really, really sneaky good comp in terms of what to look at that I'm not sure a lot of people are going to think about. Do you think it's going to play? I did see that there's, um, you know, like whatever, 125,000 square feet of sub air here. Do you feel like what, from what I remember of Shinnecock is the ball was hitting the fairways and just rolling forever. Mm -hmm. um, do you get that sense? Like what type of grass are we looking at on the fairways? Do you get the sense that, that it's going to be one of those where it's get the ball on the turf and just let it run? Well, I think they're going to have to water this course a little bit because okay. uh, Shinnecock, I know, was like that East Coast POA, uh, which is easier to kind of keep dry and hard. But bent grass, you do have to water a little bit, especially if you've got like 40 mile per hour winds gusting. So, I mean, it's going to play firm and fast, Joe. There's no doubt in my mind about it. Oklahoma yeah. has gotten some rain, but what it all comes down to is um, – tournament week right so they're not supposed to get any rain tournament week the uh the members love their sub air system i mean they that was they were very keen to talk about it these greens are probably the most pure greens that maybe i've ever putted on in in mm. my life i don't know up there with winged foot i mean they're just like if you strike a putt right they just they're perfect and they're you know they're going to be running 13 14 on the stamp there's certain you know one of the things that hans did was with the greens was he enabled um them to use a lot more different pin positions because the way the course had been uh in the past is with some of the bulges around the greens and how fast it was running there were pins that they couldn't even use so you know there we're going to see a lot of interesting pin positions and yeah i mean weather permitting i would expect it to be pretty firm and fast yeah, one of the really unique things that that I saw just uh, from a Google Earth perspective looking over this, and I heard the guys from over at Fried Egg touch on it as well. So good. Is, They're so good. Due yeah. to like when this golf course was built and in the middle of a Great Depression and the lack of sort of some of the resources, one of the unique features of it is where the tee boxes and greens are and they're they're like collected together in paths like right in front of the clubhouse there you've got five t you've got one t you've got eight you've got nine and 18 nine. green which are both small little greens in perspective and they're 14 yards apart according to google earth like like if you're at home right now Take 14 steps. Like, imagine the ninth and 18th green at a major championship being only that far away from each other with a little tiny bunker in between. Really cool. So there's these spots on the course, which I think from a from a viewing perspective, if you're a spectator there, are going to be amazing because you can kind of camp out and see multiple greens and people hitting shots. But I think that's one of the unique aspects is you're going to have people teeing off right next to people on greens in multiple different sort of collection areas within the golf course. Um, which is, which I thought was pretty, like, I, I haven't seen anything quite like that before. 
Oh, I mean, Joe, it's going to be, I was very close to making it out there. Unfortunately, like, you know, when we get to major weeks, I would have had to be doing like eight different podcasts and, and writing yeah. all these articles at my friend's house. It just, it wasn't feasible, but I have a bunch of buddies that are going, um, I think it's going to be for, for a spectator. I mean, it's just such a uh, beautiful regal property. Like you, you drive up there and it's this, it really looks the park. It's kind of the pinnacle of the old school, classical American Parkland golf course where not a blade of grass is out of place. It's got a beautiful clubhouse. They've got this giant, like great clock tower sitting next to the driving range, which they're, they use as, as the logo too. Um, but yeah, man, I, I think it's going to look awesome on TV. I've already heard some of the rumblings, um, from our guy, Rick at CBS about all the drones that they're adding this year. And, um, oh, cool. man, it's, it's, it's going to be super, super fun to watch. Um, I'm going to let you save some stuff on the course because I know the inside golf podcasts are it, by the time you're seeing this has already come out and you're going to do just an even deeper dive into everything that is the golf course. But I want to ask you real quick before I let you get out of here, um, just kind of what you're thinking about the board. Like you don't have to give me a player per se. You can if you want, but I want to know what type of player that you are looking for. Like what are the strengths that you're looking for in a player um, that you think are going to indicate some success at a course like Southern Hills? Well, I think the two barriers of entry um, are approach play and around the green. I think you could probably okay. make a case that um, this more so the degree of difficulty on the approach shots here um, and the degree of difficulty on the recovery shots here are greater than, you know, any other course that we're going to see all year. So I think if you're just looking to dumb it down big time and look for players to cross out, um, if they're not in form with their irons right now, and if they do not have a good short game, um, that's probably an easy way to eliminate some of the players. I will say one thing that, that I'm, I'm looking at that yeah. I, I don't know is going to be talked about that much, but you know, Southern Hills is, it's not an incredibly long golf course for a lot of, I think a lot of people think like I've seen 7,500 yard scorecards. Like I, I think it's going to play closer to the 73 ish range, especially with firmer fairways. And you know, the fact that, um, there are all of the yardage Joe really comes on these long par fives mm -hmm. and these really long par threes, but you actually look at the par fours and eight of the par fours could measure under 450 yards. And now that there's more room off the tee, there's going to be a lot more players hitting drivers. So you're going to have a lot of players hitting um, shorter iron approaches. in. now that doesn't mean those are going to be some of the hardest short iron approaches you're going to see like in the world. Like that doesn't mean it's going to be easy by any means, right? These are really, really yeah. small targets and you have to hit to these small pockets. But, you know, one thing that I was kind of using to help me, you know, dig down the board a little bit deeper for some, some farther guys is like, are you good inside 150 yards? Right. Because I think there's going to be a lot. I think there's going to be maybe six, seven, eight holes where you're going to have a short iron approach. And not to mention the fact that the par fives are going to be three shot holes, probably at least some of the days. So I think that inside Good, yeah. 150 range is going to be um, really important this week. And I don't know if a lot of people are going to 
talk about that because on paper it looks like a long golf course, but that that might be a way to help you kind of find some some guys and differentiate a little bit. Yeah, I haven't really heard anybody mention that yet, so that's a good point. So approach play, creativity, ingenuity, good hands around the greens. Do I hear you telling me Spieth's going to get the Grand Slam this week? He, it's starting to feel that way, man. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of buzz around him, rightfully slow. He's, he's won on, um, colonial, which is another, which is another Maxwell design. He's yeah. won at Kapalua, which is another course where there's a lot of undulation and rolling topography and, and uneven lies. Uh, Augusta obviously is, is probably the biggest comp that you want to look at. Yeah. Um, he's on the short list for sure. I mean, right now we're recording this Saturday afternoon where he's just lighting the Byron Nelson on fire. And I've got a bunch of group chat group chats just going crazy right now, getting, oh, are they? getting their speed speed bets in. So he's on my short list there. There are a couple guys, man. I, I, you know, Xander, for example, he, uh, who's been awesome at colonial awesome at Shinnecock. Awesome yeah. at Kapalua too. A lot of those courses, I was so ready to write him off, and then he birdies like eight holes in a row to to make the cut and is lighting it up today too. So I mean, there there are a lot of guys that you can make a really good case for, but yeah, Spies Spies definitely on the short list. It's funny because myself included, um, like saw this new pre shot routine that Spieth has started to implement, and we're like what is going on in his head like something is horribly wrong it's working I like know. he's not only picked up distance off the tee which colt knows mentioned that he's like really putting it out there now one two three four five six seven straight tournaments gaining on approach after losing the previous seven of eight i'm pretty certain he's going to gain strokes on approach at the byron nelson as well so certainly looking good won't be shocked if he's if he's a very popular pick come early next week yeah, he's leading the field on Saturday afternoon. He was leading the field and off the tee, which is like, what? If George, if Spieth's leading the field and off the tee, and he starts to figure out the putter, um, yeah, he's going to be super dangerous. And you know, I think the the one thing I will say is that with Tiger in the field, um, I don't think that him winning the Grand Slam will be the number one story. I mean, him playing this yeah. well at the Byron Nelson, it'll certainly be a top five storyline. Um, but I still think Tiger may be able to suck a lot of, plus the live stuff. I mean, Greg Norman's supposed to announce some more live stuff that week. Maybe that oh, sucks a little more air out of the room. So yeah, I think it's all kind of setting up pretty nicely for Spieth. I don't think anything's can dampen this party next week for me. I've been looking forward so much to a difficult golf course. I've been looking forward to Southern Hills. I've been looking forward to par being a good score. And I think we're going to get all that stuff and more at the PGA Championship. Um, Andy, thank you so much for joining me. Inside Golf Podcast. How many shows you got signed up this week? One or two? Uh, three. Sunday awesome. show. Betting show Monday afternoon um, with Jeff Feinberg. And then Tuesday uh, afternoon, a full DraftKings show with Cody Dubose, who's won a, a cool 500K in DraftKings over the last couple of months. So that's going to be a blast, too. Not too bad. And the articles always, as always, come out on rickrungood.com. Check those out uh, as well. Fantastic stuff from you once again, my friend. Uh, best of luck next week. I'll talk to you soon, buddy. Cheers, Joe. Thanks, buddy. Good to see you. See you, pal. It's time to talk the mid-range of the odds board, the real meat and potatoes for this PGA Championship upcoming. 
Here to join me for this segment, the one, the only, a recurring guest here on the Major Report. I'm psyched to have him back. You know him as Rick Rungood, the one and only Rick Gaiman. How you doing, sir? I'm doing well, Joe. How about yourself? I'm doing incredible, man. Uh, I'm glad that you came back to join us. I'm excited about this mid-range. Um, first off, before we get too started, what are your feelings? I know we're still about 10 days away here when we're recording this. What are your early thoughts on Southern Hills? It's going to be awesome. Uh, I, honestly, the the restoration that Gil Hans did to the original Perry Maxwell design, like they just they use the hills, right? Like Southern Hills, it makes sense. Let's let's use the hills. And there's going to be a lot of shots that um, you know players don't control once they hit the ground. And the way that these fairways camber towards creeks, and the way that they've kind of shaved down uh, the greens, like they're going to be small. It's going to be tough. I, I know the guys have been out there, and I've I've talked to a couple of guys who have who have already played it in advance. Like it's gonna be, it's gonna be hard. It's gonna be, it's gonna be challenging. I'm very excited for it. I hope we get a good weather week. You've talked to guys who have been there. That's why we have you on here for the remainder report. So 15 years ago, this course was a little different. But that year, when we saw the 2007 PGA, only five players finished under par that week. When they had the Senior PGA, which was last year after the redesign, only seven guys finished under par this week. Do you think we see something similar? Actually, both tournaments ended with minus eight being the winning score, ironically. You think we see something similar next week? And how does that maybe affect how you sort of handicap this mid-range of like guys 30 to one to say 60 to one? Yeah, you got to start to think that par is going to be a good score a lot of the time. And uh, some of the guys here that are able to avoid bogeys, some of the guys that are either kind of elite short game specialists or are just going to be able to, you know, hit it to the middle of the green, take two putts and move on every single time. Like those are going to be two very valuable attributes. And, and at least for what we normally see from this section of the board, uh, you know, this is the the area of the board that disproportionately wins compared to their compared to their odds, and with the competition that we have in the industry now, like I I am fairly excited about this section because you should be able to get some really good guys, and it's not crazy to go out and see any of these guys win. We're not talking 200, 300, 400 to one, right? We're talking about uh, the middle section of the board, which is much more likely to actually find a winner. Yeah, I think one of the things we talked about earlier in the show, and you're going to hear a lot this week, is what Hands did around the edges of the green. So he totally wiped away a lot of those um, shelves that he called them and basically created these runoffs, which is going to make players be super exact on approach shots. And that leads me to the guy's number one in my model right now for approach and ball striking. Will Zalatoris is 35 to 1 this week. Do you think, I mean, this is assuming that he doesn't go out and win uh, the Byron Nelson here, but do you think this is a tournament where we can see a guy break through? Sean McKeel did it all the way back 20 years ago and had his lone PGA Tour breakthrough victory at the PGA Championship. You see anything prohibiting Will from doing the same thing? Yeah, so the the track record of guys who have at least even gotten their first win as a major champion, uh, major championship, it, it, it's short, right? I mean, I, I imagine though he is. I'm just racking my brain, like the best guy who doesn't have a win who has competed at majors, right? He said it himself. He thinks his game sets up well for major championships. The results back it up. There is also. Uh, you're you're right, Joe. The way that these greens are set up now, they're already small and they're effectively even smaller because of the way that everything is going to to run off. Um, you're going to get into a situation where you know a 40th percentile shot into these greens. A lot of weeks on the PGA Tour, that would miss the green and it would roll out 
two feet into thick rough. That's not going to happen here. It's just going to keep on going. You're going to get some really tight lies around these greens and the ball, you know, back up to a green above, uh, above eye level or something like that. So these really elite ball strikers like Zalatoris are exciting. The question obviously for him is what the, what's the putter going to do now? He's yeah. starting to lay, he's starting to lay some breadcrumbs that he's, he's figuring it out. He's he's the, the advanced metrics with the putter are getting better. Um, I, I don't know if he's going to be able to do it. It's, it's really, really hard, but he is definitely one of the guys that uh, I, I feel more comfortable about saying this could be his breakthrough win compared to a lot of the other guys. Yeah, you mentioned he's a guy that kind of likes it when the conditions and the difficulty ramps up. Another guy kind of in a similar mold who tends to play better under those similar circumstances also doesn't have a PGA Tour when he's a little bit down the list at 50 to 1. A guy like Matt Fitzpatrick, does he maybe like Zalatoris light at this point? Is he someone that you see maybe a little bit more value in getting up into the 50s? Yeah, it's funny. So, so two, kind of two completely different styles of of game here, right? Yeah. You know, Matt Fitzpatrick kind of wants to par this thing to death, which is not a bad strategy. We saw him almost pull it off at TPC Potomac, finish a couple of shots out of that. The harder this gets, the better it is for Matt Fitzpatrick. I I actually like this more because while he doesn't have the PGA Tour victory, Joe, he's got what seven wins on the on the European Tour. I mean, he has won. Um, not only a lot of events, but like big time events over there. It's just kind of a matter of time before he gets one over here. So I, I like the winning pedigree. I like the way he drives the ball. You're going to, have to be really precise off the tee on a lot of these shots. I would prefer the longer number on Fitzpatrick than the shorter one on Zal Torres. Yeah, there's a guy. Um, so the superintendent at Southern Hills name is Russ Myers. Um, I looked at an interview that Russ Myers did and this brought to my mind, this next guy that I want to ask you about. So here's his quote on it. When someone asked him, how would you describe Southern Hills? A lot of rolling terrain, big, broad fairways, scale to it, sweeping holes, very undulating greens. And he said this, it has a lot of similarities to Augusta National. And this brings to mind for me, Hideki Matsuyama. Three wins in the last 13 months question marks all around on the neck in potential of of withdraw and injury here but it screams to me like a 40 to 1 Hideki if I see some signs this week could present a nice opportunity is there anything that you've seen out of Hideki injury wise or trends wise or that you may be looking for this week at the Byron Nelson to kind of make that a valuable play for you I, I just want to see four rounds Really, like if if he if I see four rounds from Hideki at the Byron Nelson, like let's go because he has been statistically one of the best players uh, here in 2022, and that doesn't even count as Zozo Championship victory at the end of of last year. When you start looking at the profile of golfers that should play well at Southern Hills, you mentioned the Augusta National Comp, but little small greens that play mm -hmm. even smaller, and then you get uh, his elite ball striking. He's been a much better putter, and the thing that the thing that I hate what people do about Hideki is they say he has a bad short game. Au contraire, his around yeah. the green play is phenomenal. He has historically been a very bad putter, but he has shown great progress in that category uh, over the last six months. So I, I actually think we're getting if I if you guaranteed me a healthy Hideki right now, I'd be I'd be drooling. So so we've got time. Hopefully we see full four solid. I don't care what, you know, T39. I don't care. Just get me through four rounds with Hideki. Make me feel comfortable and I'll pull the trigger on it. 
Yeah, if he has a great week this week, I would imagine that number drops off the 40 a little bit. Just imagine, I think all the people are going to sort of see a lot of the similar things that we see there. All right, I'm going to ask you about three other guys right in this 40 to 45 to 1 range. Pick one out of this bunch and maybe make a little case for him. Sam Burns, 40 to 1 right now. Daniel Berger, 40 to 1 right now. And Joaquin Neiman is 45 to 1 right now. Which of those three do you like the best? Wow. Um, you know, it's it's funny because Burns, uh, you know, has basically done everything but play well at major championships, uh, which is a little bit concerning. And Berger has a couple of top tens and he's more well-rounded, but I'm I, I see something in Neiman, right? Okay, so Neiman off the tee, he's got the nine windows, Joe. It's high, low, it's mid, it's left to right, it's right to left, whatever he needs, he's got it. And then um this is a big boy golf course, right? I mean, it is like uh 70 what 500 yards on the scorecard for a par 70 the par fives are just absolute monsters you got to be able to hit your long irons which is something that neiman can flush um it, it reminds me a lot of uh riviera where it just it just demands that you hit a bunch of long irons into all of these greens and then what i think people don't realize about neiman is he's he's a very very good putter it's, it hasn't been as good recently but there have been you know nine month stretches where he's been a top 10 putter on the PGA tour. So I really like the way his game sets up. I think he carries a lot of confidence, a lot of momentum from that big time win at Genesis. And now he gets a crack at a major championship that probably sets up really well for him. Like that's probably my favorite out of those three. Yeah. I like that. He's plenty long off the tee. Like you mentioned, he is, he's a, a shot maker, right? He can move yeah. the ball at different trajectories, different ways. He can fade it. This course apparently um, from what I've seen thus far requires a, maybe a little bit more of an edge to a player who can play a draw. But like yeah. you mentioned with, with the sort of runoffs and the, in the comps to Augusta and a lot of people make those same comparisons to Riviera where he won the around the green game. And he's been a little bit streaky in this department, but when he's good, he's really good and got incredible touch. I'll tell you the thing that I've heard from guys who have been there in the last couple of weeks, uh, the same word, it's options. This course gives you options, Joe. There are a lot of ways to play every single hole. And for creative guys, that's good. For thoughtful guys, that's good. And guys that can hit a lot of different shots, that's good. Because you're gonna, you might not everything might not go according to plan. You get yourself a little bit out of position. You can at least hit a different shot that might not be your normal stock shot. So when you think about Neiman, who can work it all different ways, hit a bunch of different types of trajectories and all that stuff, like it, it gets me really excited. Yeah, Joaquin Neiman, 45 to 1 on DraftKings Sportsbook right now, the weekend prior um, to the week of the PGA Championship. So a good number there on Neiman. How about another guy I want to ask you about at 55 to 1 right now? What a roller coaster this guy has been on lately. It's Tony Finau. So uh, plus 8.2 on approach at Mexico. Everyone thought he's trending in the right direction. Then lost almost eight strokes on approach last week at the Wells Fargo. Which Tony Finau do you think we get next week? I think we get bad, Tony, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, so here, here's the situation. Tony Finau, uh, not as long as we give him credit for, right? I mean, pure driving distance. He's statistically like outside the top 75 in driving distance. He's horribly inaccurate. And what you're going to have, Joe, is they've, they have re-emerged um, these creeks that run throughout Southern mm -hmm. Hills. And if you... 
like, you know, hit a cut or a, a slice that goes on a left to right cambered fairway, like you're running into these creeks, right? You're just a little bit off. You're not hitting the right shot. If you're a little bit, a little bit errant, like Tony Finau is, you're playing, like you're in the creek. It's just, there's just a lot of trouble lurking. And then take that, which I don't love off the tee, and combine it with a questionable putter and an even more questionable killer instinct closing ability i don't know what you want to call it joe but it's like that's it could i really bet this guy to win this major championship right now he's been playing a lot better uh going into other major championships and yeah he might finish inside the top 10 but do i have a lot of trust that he's going to win the golf tournament i i think i would save my money and, and better allocate my resources yeah, so there's a decent crop of players here uh, within this range, but I want to ask you about one. You mentioned the clutch factor, and this guy certainly has it. I'm going to run some of the names there uh, for you guys watching this on YouTube in this range. You go back to 2007, right, the PGA Championship. Of all the players in this range, basically 30 to 65 to 1, there's only one player who actually played that week, and he checks in right at the end of the list here at 65 to 1. Is there any scenario, Rick, in which the number at 65 to 1 may make sense for Tiger Woods this week? I Tiger Woods has made a career of proving everybody wrong, and I hope that he I hope that he does it again. I think Joe, you and I very correctly assessed what was gonna happen with Tiger at yeah. the Masters. We nailed it round by round. We had the whole thing snuffed out. Much less optimistic this time around. Um, not only is it a larger field, it's a deeper field. It is similarly like, you know, you heard all the stuff stuff about Augusta being a difficult walk and how, I mean, we saw Tiger basically progressively get a, a worse limp throughout yes. the week at the Masters. Southern Hills ain't no easy walk, right? Like it, mm -hmm. it's, it's called Southern Hills for a reason. And I think he's just going to have to be perfect, Joe. He doesn't get the two-shot advantage like we gave him at Augusta National for the knowledge. Uh, he this even, even when he won in 2007, go back and let's run the tape. Southern Hills is not going to look anything like that. It, it's I just going to be so much different. So I hope to be very wrong, uh, but the scenario that I envision is that Tiger either barely misses the cut or barely makes it and just kind of, struggles on the weekend i i do not necessarily see a scenario in which he remotely contends yeah i i want i kind of sit on both sides of it because i see a side of it where i'm like yes there's the restoration but it's the same golf course it's the same holes the routing is is very similar they've changed some bunkers they've done some greens but on the other side like there was the one par five, which he was he was driver seven iron into every day. There's nothing he's going to be remotely close to driver seven iron on the par fives this week. So he tore this course apart to the point where they said, we're not coming back here anymore. And had it not been for, you know, the PGA basically admonishing Trump Bedminster, I believe, which was supposed to host this year a couple of years ago and bringing Southern Hills back into the fold with the help of Gil Hands here. Um, they may have never brought a major championship back. So I do see that part of it too, where it's a little bit of a different course. I hope that he plays well again. I think that there's a good chance that he does make the cut once again like the Masters, but I think I'm with you in that I can't see a scenario where he's in even the top 15 heading down the stretch on Sunday. Yeah, it's just, uh, I mean, just look at the fields, right? I mean, yeah. what, what what was the Masters? 89 and the bottom 20 don't matter, right? Like, you know what I mean? It's just, it's just such a deeper field and 
yeah, it, it, I would be so impressed. If he finished T21, I'd be unbelievably impressed. I, I hope I'm wrong, but I don't think that's what's going to happen. Favorite pick in this range, 35 to like 65 to one. If you had to select one guy and take it to the counter out there in Vegas, who are you going to go with? Yeah, I I mean, I'm I'm real on Hideki. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm very big on Hideki. He, he is the only concern is health. And if that's the case and we get kind of four healthy rounds and it's, you know, it's been some time uh, since we saw him at the Masters, like, okay, that would make me feel more comfortable. But he is um, not being priced according to his advanced metrics. He's not being priced according to the gains that he's seen with the putter. Uh, he's not being priced as an elite iron and wedge player like he is. He's being priced with guys that don't have the winning experience or uh, the stat profile that he does. And it's all because of this, this lingering injury thing. So if we could just get some type of positive, healthy status or, or view of Hideki at the Byron Nelson, I would be super thrilled about it. I would agree at this point. I think that that's the, that's the value play in this range. Hope assuming that he's healthy. Um, I appreciate you coming on buddy. So the host of the 300 yards unknown podcast, the host of the CBS sports first cut podcast, who does have the rights next week. So we'll stay tuned there to make sure you have a lot of good stuff. And the founder of rickrungood.com. Thank you as always, Rick, for joining me on the major report. I'll talk to you soon, buddy. Thank you, Joe. See you, bud. Let's talk some more DFS. Uh, bringing on a special guest here to do this segment with me. We're going to talk projected ownership and where that's at right now, very early on in the week for each particular range and who might be a good pivot to go to. Here to join me from awesomeo.com. He is a PGA Tour golf content creator over there at DFS Golfer 23 on Twitter. You know him. Welcome to the Major Report, Mr. Jason Rouseland. What's going on, Joe? Happy to be here and joining you on the major report. I always get excited for these uh, tournaments. Biggest and best prizes in all of DFS. So how can you go wrong? Yeah, dude. And I want to start here. This really isn't related to ownership, but um, you were a very polarizing figure this week on Twitter. So you had a little back and forth with CT Pan in terms of when the withdrawal happened. Then you got some interaction from DraftKings CEO and co-founder Jason Robbins as well. Tell me a little bit more about that. And if I want to ask you, is there a real solution here that's possible? And what may that be? Or is it just part of the game, like injuries in any sport? Yeah. So first off with this, with CT Pan, whenever a golfer withdraws, I never get upset at the golfer. It's very hard to get upset at the golfer. They're, they, it's, it's their playing. If whether they're sick or whether they get injured or they have a family member sick, you know, I really don't get mad at the golfer unless they have a sinus infection and they're in the middle of the tournament withdrawal. But that's another story for another time. Um, so I wanted to know, because all I really care about is when did CT Pan give that information to the PGA Tour and when did the PGA Tour get the information to us? Again, I don't even think this has anything to do with DraftKings. I think this is on the PGA Tour and... CT Pan was very nice enough, and, and he got a ton of interaction for being a nice guy and answering me, and told us that he basically let the PGA Tour know at 646. He was very specific, didn't say 45. Said 646 uh, Central Time, which, you know, I guess it's up for debate whether the PGA Tour could have gotten it to us before lock. I'm under the impression that they could have, uh, but again, that's where we are. So 
Then I turned to Jason Robbins, who's, you know, pretty active on Twitter. And I said to him, hey, look, man, this is like, this is number five this year. It's happened to me, you know, probably 20 times over my career. Can you look into this? And basically he said, yes. Now it goes us to our solutions. There's a couple that have been floating around. I think one of the first ones, maybe the most logical is just replacing the withdrawn player with the alternate that gets replaced with them. Now, Joe, I know you remember, you've been doing this as long as me. Nate Lashley won a golf yeah. the exact way. So how do you deal with that, right? I mean, how do you feel if a, a replacement player wins the tournament and you couldn't even roster him? Yeah, no, it's it's terrible, and I don't, and I think that that's tough. Part of me thinks, um, you know, withdrawals once things start. I wish that there was a little more. Um, I don't know the right word for it, but I wish there was a little more initiative from the tour itself to maybe enforce it a little bit more and tell these players, look, if you're going to withdraw, fine. We need to know by 6 a.m. the day before the tournament so that we can put that information out there. As we become more and more sponsors, you see it all over the broadcast from DraftKings and PointsBet. There's accepting in all these dollars. I think at some point the onus is back on them to make sure that they're running you know, things fairly and they're being open and honest with information. Cause that's the biggest question mark. And that's what I think you were going after CT Pam for is um, did he let them know in time? And they just kind of sat on the information and then screwed 7% of people out of these contests. Yeah. And, and there was many, um, I don't, you know, want to call them arguments. So debates, there were uh, pleasant conversations that I had with people saying, you know, Hey, look, you know, it doesn't happen that often. Or if you do other things, you're going to, you know, one of the other solutions is lock by tea time. Well, people's response to that is it's going to take, you know, give the pros the advantage. Well, in my opinion, there's not enough advantage by lock by tea time that you're going to get with ownership uh, that's going to come out of that. So, again, I think the best solution, which changes the game entirely, which is probably makes it not the best solution is to add in a seventh player, drop your lowest score. And that way, once you get the zero, uh, you know, you'll have another player in there, but it's going to make six of six percentages crazy. It's going to keep people engaged more, but at the same time, it could hurt their showdown product. So I'll be very interested to see the way that Jason Robbins goes with this. The fact that he knows about it and cares enough to actually answer me correctly shows that they are taking this in under consideration and, I'll look for something, uh, you know, down the road here for sure. That was the biggest positive sign for me that he addressed it. Um, he was very honest with it. And I thought uh, gave gave a, gave a good answer. Like he didn't say that he had the answer, but he told you what we wanted to hear. And it's that they know it's become an issue. They've heard the rumblings through golf Twitter of, of the complaints. Because anytime someone withdraws, um, you know how it is. The yeah, for sure. So All right, let's, let's shift gears. Let's dive into the PGA Championship. Yeah, let's shift gears a little bit to Southern Hills. I'm super excited for this week. I love, I actually think that the PGA Championship, I was talking to a couple other people about it, has been one of the more exciting majors the last couple of years. I think this is going to set up the same way. I want to go through each range with you. And you're so good at sort of projecting ownership and then figuring out a pivot there. This is where I, myself, and maybe some of the more novice DraftKings players, I think, struggle to really understand this concept and the importance of game theory and ownership. So talk through me, talk to me through the the, the 10K range here. We've got Scotty Scheffler at 11400 John Rahm also cracks the $11,000 mark at 11 Justin Thomas, 10-7, 
Colin Morikawa, $10,400, and Rory McIlroy comes in at $10,000 flat. Who do you think, and granted, I know we're, we're a week you know, prior to this thing starting, so I'm kind of putting you on the spot here. Who does your gut tell you is going to be the highest owned, and who may be the best pivot? Yeah, I really think Scotty Scheffler is going to come in the highest owned. We saw really? him this past week. You know, he makes double early on in the week, uh, bounces back, makes the cut this weekend uh, here at the AT&T. But he came in at 30% owned at 10900 this past week. So I think we're going to see something very similar to Augusta, which we saw Rory and Colin both go under owned. Both ended up being a great pivot. And I think Thomas and, and Rom, I think those gamers see them as just more consistent plays. So I think they're probably going to get somewhere in the 15 to 20% range. But I think Scotty Scheffler, unless he bombs it this weekend, Joe, I think he comes in as the highest owned. He's been talked about. It's out there pretty, you know, a, a lot of ways that this golf course is his favorite that always plays into it, you know. So I think Scotty Scheffler ends up as the highest on golfer uh, in this range for sure. And a pivot, uh, you know, Colin Murray Coward, Roy McIlroy. I don't know if you can go wrong with either of, those, either of those two. Of course, I love Colin. I'm a big fan. But Rory might end up the better play this week uh, as we march down. He's certainly under 10%. I think we got to look at him. Anytime we get a major championship, we seem to get what, what is a little bit softer pricing. And we get guys down the board a little bit who, who are an abnormally low price than they would be, say, in the Byron Nelson. And PGA, of course, is probably the deepest field in terms of talent-wise of any of the majors because you rule out the amateurs, you rule out the old guys. Um, how does that change things at the top? Does that make you think people more... Um, reluctant to take someone at 11,400 or maybe it gives them more room and better players down in the seven, eight K range that they don't mind going all the way up to 11, four for Scotty. Yeah. I think what exactly what you just said, this being the deepest field, you go down into the sixes and you got a guy say just right off the top of my head, Aaron wise makes it a lot easier to click Scotty's name. When you got a guy like Aaron wise at 6,800, kind of opens up the board a little bit. This is, I think this major more than any, you could find those values. So that's why another reason kind of going to why I think Scotty Scheffler ends up as the highest on. I know that you like to put a lot of entries in these contests, but take us back to the days when you would throw like one, two, three entries into a contest. Do you, do you like to start at the bottom and work your way up? Or do you start with the top price guy on your team and work your way down? Uh, it depends on, it depends on the event, but if it's an event like next week and I got, you know, my guy who's playing great golf and Jordan Spieth, I'll just click his name first and we'll go from there. Um, but this week that's kind of, it, it goes to my bigger point. I stick with my, what I would consider my, my middle guy Spieth being at 9,600 this week, little salary flexibility there. So it's not like, you know, I'm, I'm playing him as the top price guy. I will start with who I would say I'm going to think. Think is going to win whether that is scotty scheffler or whether that is jordan speed or uh somebody else so that's how i start building it happens that speed is 9600 this week so i think that's a, a really good starting point then what i'll try and do and again this is if i'm building a couple of lineups i'll go down and say okay who's the cheapest guy i want to play okay what, you know, i just mentioned aaron wise because now it'll say can i get two studs in can i go up and get scotty in this lineup can i go get justin thomas something like that so that's why I like to build. I like to build at least two or three guys that I think have a viable chance of winning. I like to get in each lineup. Let's talk through the 9K range and do the yeah. same thing. Projected 
highest owned and a potential pivot. You mentioned Jordan Spieth, who I really like this week. But the one to me, and maybe I'm wrong, but the one to me that just sticks out like a sore thumb that every Joe Public guy who plays, you know, uh, just for the majors pops in here is going to see Patrick Cantlay at 9,100 and probably click him with the top price guy. You think he comes in high stone? Yeah, he's definitely trending on that. Coming off of the win at Zurich, I mean, listen, we, we he's way too cheap. It isn't Augusta. I think that's a, a point I want to make. He's been finding majors outside of Augusta and outside of the Open Championship. Both him and Morikawa are terrible in conditions. I will say that far and clear. They're not good when weather is a problem. It won't be, or it looks like it won't be this week in Tulsa. We'll obviously know much more as we get closer. But, yeah, 9,100 for Patrick Cantlay coming off a win, has had a pretty good season. That That's going to be a tough one for people to pass up. Even with Brooks Kepka, you know, right there, Will Zalatoris right there, I still think Cantlay ends up as the highest owned. I think that the biggest question mark, and we're getting a lot of answers about him this week, is Hideki Matsuyama. Coming off of the withdrawal, you know, going into the Masters, playing okay. He's looked good through two rounds. Again, you know, we're Friday of the AT&T Byron. He's looked good. So if he ends up coming in the top five this week, I think that'll actually change ownership quite a bit. And then my eyes would go to, for the low-owned pivot, would go to Dustin Johnson and Xander Schauffele. Shuffle mm-hmm. underperforming, but DJ was 8% on this week in what looked to be a good spot. So maybe the, the the public is kind of off of DJ, which could be interesting for sure coming up this week. Yeah, Shuffle really felt like he was just playing awful. And I was going to make the argument to Jeff that of the guys like 30 to 1 and sub, I thought he was playing the worst. Then he just rattled off like eight birdies in his last 14 holes to grind his way through a cut. So I definitely see a positive sign there for him. He seemed to have things back in with the swing, but I'm right there with you on Hideki. Moving down sort of to the 8K range, um, this thing is wide open. It feels to me like everyone's going to drift to Willie Z at the top. The bottom, there's a lot of question marks. You've got Tiger in there. You've got Bryson, who I don't, I actually don't think plays. I don't know that to be true, but it feels unlikely. The last yeah. photo that I saw of his hand. And then Sungjae, big question marks there. So who do you think comes in highest owned? Do those two players potentially being out affect that? And who may be a good pivot in this range? Yeah, what an interesting range. You throw Tiger in there, right? And obviously the fan in me is going to roster him a couple of times. Is he a viable candidate to roster? I don't know. As much as I love Tiger, you know, 47th, uh, you know, at the Masters for basically the same price was not a positive return on investment there. Yep. Um, now, was it a positive return on investment for those make the cut wins? Absolutely was. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you got, you know, at least double your money on those. So um, this is a tough one. Burns and Zalatoris coming off of a missed cut. Burns has not performed in a major. So I think I'm, I'm, I'm going to X him out for highest owned in, in terms of who I think could get there. But Shane Lowry continues to play unbelievably good golf. He should be in the 9Ks. Him and Cantlay, I think, will be the most common stack of people starting their lineups. Mm-hmm. And I think he's probably the highest owned because of it. I mean, he hasn't finished worse than 24th since January. It's crazy. I mean, just such good stats all the way around. Uh, so I think that the low-owned, well, the problem is that the low-owned pivot could end up being Tiger Woods or Ty Hatton in this range. You know, given that Lowry is playing as good as he is, 
I believe Sung JM is not going to be able to play. I don't think Bryson's going to be able to play. Yeah. You know, now the ownership is going to continue to funnel. Neiman's playing well this week. He'll also be highly owned. So I think your pivots got to be at the bottom of this with Ty Hatton, Corey Connors, and Louis Ustase. And, um, you know, as, as, as we drop, you know, down even a little bit further, Ty Hatton, again, he's another one. Where do you feel his game is in majors? He does pretty well outside of them, but Augusta, he is just, he's terrible. Augusta, he's terrible. So I was actually feeling like he had, I, I thought going into last week or, or wherever he played last that he's had a real, like he's been struggling. It felt like he's been struggling, but then I looked and he's kind of finishing like in the twenties, right? He's not doing oh, great, boy. but it's just been very consistent. And my problem is, is I want to see, um, for me, it a guy who plays not many, you know, I may put five or six lineups in. I want to, I'm willing to take the boomer bust guys. Like I want to see top fives because him at 8,100 bucks finishing 26 ain't really going to win me a GPP. But someone like Max Homa, who I know is probably going to be popular coming off that win, but Max, Max will top three for you. Max will top five. He could very well miss the cut, but on the chances when he finds himself into contention, seems to be very comfortable around the top of leaderboards. It does. Uh, I think Louis Oosthuizen, um, likely given his miscut at the Masters or more withdraw, I guess, he's yeah. probably the lowest owned in the range. There's a lot of risk there. Obviously, we have no idea where his game is. He's the lowest. You want to take some risk appetite in your couple of lineups? I can definitely understand it. If you're playing 150, you almost got to put him in a couple just, just for that uh, element there. Totally agree. Let's jump to 7K where this thing so is just wide open there's a ton of really good players from like 7400 up guys that you're normally used to playing in the eights or high eights um this is going to be a tough one to predict but i'm going to ask you anyways who do you think maybe comes in not necessarily the highest but really high owned and maybe like bad chalk in this range and there may be a pivot right under him that you can go to yeah matt fitzpatrick man this guy um He's, he's one of those when he gets below 8,000, people love clicking his name. Yep. Uh, coming off the tie for second place, too, at, at Wells Fargo, people are going to just click it even more. So I think Fitzpatrick could end up as one of the top five highest owned on the slate. He's actually had a pretty good season, strokes gained wise. So I, I can understand it. You know, if I had to say, though, if we could pivot to somebody right in his range. That's probably not going to go as highly owned. Adam Scott has had a pretty decent season. I think with Tony Finau also there and the high stud of Cameron Young at 7,600. Right. I think Adam Scott and Mark Leishman, those two guys from Australia, and, and Tommy Fleet would throw him in there too, probably all come in around 10%, whereas Cameron Young and Matt Fitzpatrick, maybe even Tony Finau are probably plus 15% at this point. Yeah, there's a couple of guys as we move our way down. I just kind of want your opinion on this. So it looks like it's going to be about a little over 7,500 yards and play as a par 70. Immediately, like, to me, you just think, like, uh, it's, it's going to be for, you know, we got to play bombers. But it's not really, like, length really isn't the thing on the PGA Tour. As much as it is, like, you look at a long par 4 and what you think they may hit, it's usually way less, even for a guy like, Russell Henley or someone like this down in the low range. Do you think a lot of people may rule out guys like Henley who maybe aren't as long off the tee, which may provide sort of an advantageous spot of leverage for, for guys who um, aren't going to pop in your driving distance models? Yeah. And I think in addition to that, Russell Henley probably going to come in pretty low owned relative to his 
more medium term form. Obviously, it hasn't been great lately, but before that, I mean, from Sony Open through the middle part of this season, he was in the top or on the first page of the leaderboard almost every single week. So, um, in terms of the distance, yeah, I mean, yeah, it, he struggles with accuracy off the tee a little bit, which maybe concerns me a touch. But at 7,200, pretty good value there. I can't expect, you know, he's going to be over 10% owned, especially when you got, you know, Maverick McNeely sitting right there, uh, a couple of other guys that are pretty good too. So, yeah, he might come in as one of the higher-owned guys at 7,200, um, I guess. But there's, you know, Harold Varner, who's playing great all as well, is right there, who's also performed in majors too. So, yeah, he said, it is pretty wide open in the sevens. And what I think we see more so, especially with the PGA Championship, ownership spread relatively thin across all of these guys because there are so many and they're all of pretty good caliber talent. So um, I don't see any huge standouts. Maybe Henley and Varner would be the two that I would say might be a little bit higher on than everybody. That's a good point on it being a little bit more spread at the PGA, just the depth of the field and, and going right into the 6K. Like this can be the range that, that wins you a million dollars. If you could pick one of these guys that finished like seventh or eighth, um, you're going to have a pretty damn good lineup if you can get six to six through. Who sticks out here? You mentioned Aaron Wise. I think yeah. that he's a great play in this range, maybe a little bit popular. Anyone else you think maybe a little bit potentially overlooked who you think sets up well for Southern Hills? Okay, so overlooked, um, I, I think for me the easiest way for, to find an overlooked player is to look at the highest owned. So I think that Cameron okay. King, Cameron Champion and Aaron Wise, as well as Mito Pereira, are likely going to be three of the highest. Mito coming back off the back injury looks good through two rounds. If that keeps up through four, people are going to love clicking Wise Pereira. It'll be a huge stack down there. Uh, then Cameron Champ, back-to-back top tens coming into the week. Obviously made the cut this weekend, you know, so we'll see what he does. If he ends up in the top ten again, you can see probably 10% of the field click his name. Uh, and then lastly... The leader uh, going into the weekend, Sebastian Munoz at 6,800. He's played pretty good when he's played. I know he's withdrawn a couple of times, but he's played good. So I think all four of those guys get close to 10%. It's going to leave definitely some spots. I think we've seen somebody like Johnny Vegas at 6,900. I think you'll get some attention, but not as much as the other guys. So consistent off the tee. He's played good in a couple of big events like the Players' Championship. So I think he could be an interesting name. And a guy that I like that has not had a good season and had one of the weirdest holes I've ever seen at the Wells Fargo, Cameron Davis, uh, another Australian. What do you think about that hole? I mean, you know what I'm talking about? He he was center of the fairway on 11, I think it was, last week at the Wells Fargo. Hit it basically out of bounds and then hit it out of bounds again from the fairway. It was crazy. He oh, yeah. On the hole. Missed the cut because of it. But at 6,700, Cameron Davis, if it's 7,500 – He's definitely got the length to do it all. Obviously, uh, as go his form goes his putter, but 6,700, I think Cam Davis could be a good pivot. I would think Matthew Wolf should be in this price range, but he's 7,400. I know. I put their potential kind of on the same caliber, so obviously I picked Davis here this week. That's a great comp. I love Davis because he's extremely aggressive off the tee. He's long with the driver, and he goes out there, and even though par is going to be a good score, he's going to try to make birdies. Like He's not really the, the type of guy that's going to play very conservative. Probably the reason he blew two out of bounds last week. Um, so it can come back to bite you, but really I think he has that. He pre presents you that upside. Could he play well? The other guy in here I think that kind of sticks out to me is um, 
just potential because he just shows up in these type of events and he gets that hot putting week. But Kevin Knott, 6,900. If it feels like we've seen him at major championships come inside this top 10, places like Augusta where you think he has no no way that he does he belong on that type of course with the other bombers out there, just yeah, seems to find his way around. And Kisner, too, it's like they, they're just crafty. And even though they, they don't hit it long, they just don't really make mistakes. And if they can hang around long enough into the weekend, um, they can both get a very streaky hot putter, which you're looking for. For sure. I'll give you one more name uh, yep. to, before we get on out of here. Kind of made his a name for himself at this tournament back in, I believe it was 2016 or 2015. And he's shown up this year on Ravon Lahiri at 6,500. He's another guy in that Kevin Knob bucket that's like, how is he competing at this event? But he gets really hot with a putter. He finds ways to get it done. If I'm not mistaken, it was the 2015 PGA Championship. He came in second or third, had a chance to win it kind of out of nowhere, almost like we saw at the Players' Championship this yeah. year. So Lahiri loves the spotlight, uh, is in good form. I really like him at 6,500. He's going to be at least a 10% old guy for me next week. Yeah, 6,500. Anyone in this range that's really playing with the optimum level of confidence right now is is attractive, and Lahiri's certainly doing that. Before I get you out of here, Jason, I'm going to kind of skip through DraftKings. Just tell me who you think is going to – and I think I know who you're going to say, and I bet him already, so I just want to hear you reaffirm my stance here. Who wins the PGA? Is it Grand Slam season or what? Yeah, yeah. I I mean, uh, you know who I'm going to be rooting for. There hasn't been many people in the uh, in the game of golf that has won the career Grand Slam. Speed is playing fantastic golf. His putter has been bad this season. Yeah. But his ball striking, say what you want about his weird takeaway, it is working and it looks fluid. Uh, I got Speed winning it, um, but I don't think that Colin Morikawa or Cameron Smith or Patrick Cantlay will be very far behind. So a couple of names there. Uh, Cameron Smith, I think, will be a good discussion as we go forward as well. Yeah, he's good because I don't feel like many people are going to talk about him at all. I was talking to somebody earlier, and it's just – it seems out of place when you're looking at him right there at 22 to 1. But really, you're looking at Scotty at 11 to 1, and he's not that far off. Like, Scotty mm -hmm. doesn't hold that thing out on the third hole at Augusta, and that could be totally different. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, we're looking at Cam Smith with three big-time wins this season – and just setting up great. So it was it was that little shift in momentum that maybe changed things, but he's this close, and I really do think he does belong. It just kind of sticks out. Like, he has so many other names, Vic and Spieth and Cantlay and these other guys right there. It's hard to it's hard to make that bet. For sure, for sure. Totally understand. So, yeah, and it, it, it would be Spieth for me if I had to pick one off. What do you got planned this week over at Awesome? I'll tell the people where they can find you. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Um, I post most of my stuff uh, through the Twitter, so at DFS Golfer23, but I will be on uh, my Live Before Lock show with Ben Raza. The dude is a genius. I love talking with Ben every week. We're going to be there at 5 o'clock on Wednesday based off of uh, NBA uh, playoff stuff, so probably around uh, 5 o'clock on Wednesday. And other than that, my weekly written stuff, I do an article each day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. They're all free, covering something different. My Sleepers article this week, uh, we'll cover all of the last like eight to 10 millimaker winning lineups. So if you want to see some trends, come check out that article. And Joe, thank you for having me on today. This was awesome. Very good stuff. You and Ben, two of the sharpest game theory guys out there in terms of DraftKings. So make sure to check that out Wednesday night, right before lock. Jason, thanks for joining me, buddy. Take it easy. Thanks, y'all. Appreciate it.
Joining me now, pleasure to have this guy on to talk a little long shots with me. I wouldn't have anyone else. One half of the Tour Junkies podcast, you know him. It's Pat Perry. Welcome to the Major Report, Pat. How you doing? I'm doing great, Joe. I appreciate you having me on. And, uh, you know, we always love talking long shots on the Tour Junkies. So this That's is, why this I had is... to have you on. It's And you know what, Pat? The PGA Championship may be officially long shot season as far as majors go. We had Phil... I wrote down some guys here, Y.E. Yang, Duffner, Jimmy Walker, Rich Beam, Sean McKeel, all in the last 20 years. You think Southern Hills could set up for a potential for a long shot guy to come through here? I, I think it could. The only thing I will say is there's a lot about Southern Hills that has kind of Augusta National feel to it, a lot of slopiness around the greens. Um, you know, I think it's going to take some some skill, not only around the greens, but, you know, approach to the greens. So, you know, it's it's a, it's definitely a course that sets up better for the top players in the world. Yeah. But like you said, I mean, with the PGA Championship, we never know. We we tend to get more of a long shot in this major more than any of the others. So I, I you know I think we could get it. Yeah. Part of it is you know the depth of the field here. Like we don't we get a lot more players. We don't have the amateurs. Um, full field type of event. I do think I agree with your take there that it has some similarities to Augusta, and I think it plays harder which would theoretically, um, you know, bring the favorites a little bit more advantageous. But I'm just going to bring up the board right here, Pat, over at Odds Checker, and we'll kind of go through it and just tell me anyone that you got your eye on here early for Southern Hills. Starting at like 80 to 1, you got Abe Answer, Adam Scott, Day, Fleetwood, Casey, Woodland, Kokrak, Leishman, Patty Reed is there if you want a little Augusta Comp. Any thoughts on any of those guys or anyone else you want to kind of throw out there? So there's there's three right there that I, I think uh, I had written down that I think, you know, have a chance to win here. Right at the top there, you got Adam Scott. I mean, Adam Scott's playing well this week right now. Um, you know, he's a guy that has major pedigree. You're getting him pretty long, at, at least 80 to 1, you know, maybe longer in some books. Um, so I think Adam Scott has the right skill and mindset to play here. You know, one thing I think you'll hear a lot about this week is um, – you know, this course is going to take some patience and it's going to take, you know, the guys that, you know, are kind of level headed out there. I'm not saying John Rahm's not going to win. I know he can blow up or whatever, but still, you know, a guy like Adam Scott with his experience, I think has a chance to win this right below him, Jason Day. I mean, we kind of written off Jason Day, you know, over the last couple of years, just because of the way he'd been playing. But lately, Jason Day's showing up. I mean, he really is playing well. He's a great scrambler, which, you know, he's been that way his entire career. He's great out of bunkers. So I think Jason Day is another one that could be a potential here. And then, and I'll let you comment here, but I got one more. I think Jason Kokrak. Kokrak okay. played really well at the Masters. He was top 15. You know, he's he's won at Colonial, which the same designer at Colonial also de designed Southern Hills. So, um, you know, I think there could be some similarities there. Um, smaller greens. So Jason Kokorak, to me, uh, makes a little bit of sense right there. Absolutely. If I had to pick one of those three that you mentioned, I'd probably lean Adam Scott the most. There's 80 to ones out there now. You may catch 100 to one next week, but you mentioned the Augusta comp. You mentioned he's putting it really well, and he's just a he's 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 surgical with his irons so like in a course that is going to demand you hit small surfaces you know the greens are already small but i think they're going to play even smaller um he's just fantastic with the irons and i think sets up great here the other guy that i kind of had my eye on is gary woodland and i always love gary and he had this great run sort of through florida there i my fear is a little bit of the the 
amount of bunkers and the amount of short game that I think is going to come into play this week. But I think if you can catch 100, 120 on a guy like Woodland, um, it's a decent number on a guy who can present some upside and winning potential. I agree. And, you know, you're definitely going to have to have some length here on this course. But yeah, but also long iron play. I'm going to really look at the guys that are, are, you know, maybe proximity 175 plus or some stat just to give me an idea of who are the guys that are great with their long irons. Gary Woodland's pretty good there. He's probably going to be, you know, in the top third of the field with his long irons. Yeah, a couple of moving down, like a guy that was really popular this week who may have burned some people in Taylor Gooch. You've got Cam Young, who we know is going to be popular. There's still 110 to ones on there. Is this a spot where you can see a guy maybe break through and get his first PGA Tour victory? Do you put any emphasis on that in guys who have done it before and the added pressure of a major championship? Or is there guys that are ripe and just ready to go? Uh, you know, I think, you know, you mentioned, you know, some of these, you know, kind of long shot winners. Um, that we've had in this event well you know a lot some of them have been like first time winners you know just out of the blue or maybe yeah. it was not the first win but it was you know they never really had a big win before it so i right. think he could get a guy like cam young who's been playing fantastic this year that just breaks through this week you know i mean taylor gooch has had had a win on tour but he could also you know he's another guy that could really break through with a major i mean he's been knocking on the door all year um so i think taylor gooch is another one in that in that same kind of light even though he has won before yeah, there's a collection here of guys who who have concerns, but also have a ton of upside. Like a guy like Sergio, just from a ball striking standpoint, feels like he could be a good value. But there's concerns. Justin Rose, there's concerns. Keegan, you have the he's playing great, but you have those concerns with the putter. Matthew Wolf is full of as many question marks as you want to imagine. Um, is there like when you stake these sort of long shots? Are you staking them differently than you go for at the top of the board, or do you try to balance everything evenly in hopes things will end up uh, level at the end of the year? Yeah, I, I tend to tend to kind of balance it out for me. Um, yeah, me too. You know, I think that's just that's just the way I've typically gone about it. So yeah. Um, by the way, if I got to mention real quick, Billy Horschel up there. Now you know I'm a bulldog. I've got my bulldog hat on. Yep. But. Horschel always seems to go overlooked to me. You know, he's just a guy that he's great around the greens. Um, you know, he's a good putter. You know, his irons have gotten better this year. Um, so I think Horschel, if you can get him at like 120, 130 to one, he's he's interesting to me. Absolute grinder in Horschel. And I think yes. that you're going, you mentioned patience. I think that that's going to play a big factor this week. There's going to be times you make bogey. It's going to be a little different than what, you know, these guys have seen where, where par is going to be a pretty good score. I think this mm -hmm. tournament plays tough. We've had great finishes in this tournament. I think it's been the most exciting uh, major of the year, the past two years in my mind. I think that we get that again with Southern Hills. Um, Kerry Hegg's done a great job of sort of setting this thing up and, and really rewarding um, the guy who plays the best. And believe it or not, that was Phil Mickelson last year, like 250 mm -hmm. to one some guys had eyes on. Um, anyone that you see just, all right, I'm going to say a guy in, in the twilight of their career that can really have a resurgence. What comes to mind like right here is, is like someone like Bubba, someone like Sergio, someone like maybe – um, you know, just moving down the list here. There's Phil at 175. Does he have any chance this week? What do you What do you make of Phil Mickelson back in the field? No, I don't. I don't think. Um, I don't think he has much of a chance at all. As a matter of fact, I would expect those odds to be a little bit longer than that. Um, yeah. I mean, he wasn't even playing that well before. You know, all the 
you know, crap hit the fan anyway. So I, I don't want, he wasn't playing that well last year. No. So I don't really expect much out of him. I think if you're looking at like, you know, twilight of their career, a, a, you mentioned, I think Sergio probably has one of the best chances of, of a guy in that, you know, in that part of his career, you know, maybe Bubba, um, you know, Bubba's a creative player. Bubba's, you know, a guy that, you know, obviously plays well at Augusta National. So if if we want to comp that, then you know you, you can't just ignore Bubba, and especially at long odds. I wanted to ask you. So I always, what I do is I look at the, you know, I see this thing par seventy playing seventy five hundred yards, and I'm like, wow, that thing is long. Like it's gonna it's gonna take bombers. And what I always do is, what's long to me isn't long to these guys. So whatever I think, you know, a four hundred 80 yard par four, whatever. I'm like, that's going to be driver. And I have an idea of what club they're going to hit next. It's always like two clubs less than that, even these shorter hitters. So given the length, do you think some of these guys, Christian Bezaden, who your boy Kisner, uh, Brian Harmon, Russell Henley, these types of shorter, you know, not up there in driving distance, do you think they can still compete in a week like this, given the yardage on the scorecard? Does that matter to them length? You know, I, I think it matters, but I think this course First off, we don't necessarily, I mean, it may say 7,500 yards, but we don't know where they're going to put the tees on a right. lot of these holes. So I think that makes a difference as well. Um, you know, I, I one thing I've learned doing this over the years is that you just can't totally, you know, knock out a group of players because they may be shorter off the tee or, you know, whatever. Because we always know bombers have an advantage on most every course. But I still think these guys in major championships – they can play these courses. They know how to play them with their game, and they can win. I mean, the guys setting it up, they don't want to take out all these other players either. You know, they don't want it to be just bombers. So you, totally. you can't, you cannot really just, you know, take them out of your player pool or who you're looking at for bets just because they may not fit, you know, one particular box that you really love that week. Moving down. 201 range. There's some guys that are playing pretty decent golf down here and, and could, I could see maybe potentially competing. Keith Mitchell sticks out to me. Mito, Sepp Straka. Um, there's Kisner there. There's Kevin Na there. There's Chris Kirk there. Davis Riley there. Any of these guys that you think could, you know, could be worth a 10 or $20 bet come next week? You know, I definitely think Sepp Straka. I mean, he is a guy that, oh, um, great. Yeah, he's playing fantastic. Uh, he's a good putter. Um, he's a good long iron player. He's top 20 in the field, actually, if you're looking at you know proximity over 175 yards. So I think Sepp is certainly one that I would look at right there. Um, you know, maybe Kiz, I, I don't know. I may look for if for Kiz in like that top 20 range in mm -hmm. that in that bet. I don't know if I would bet him as an outright. Um, but but I do I do like him on this course. Yeah, one thing that kind of, you know, I, I when I look down at these bomber or these super bombs, 250 to one, I am kind of looking at guys who are going to hit it far and, and sort of play to that advantage. Cameron Davis kind of sticks out there to me. Matt Jones is one that's super volatile. You know, he has mm -hmm. these roller coaster up and down finishes where if you're betting a top 10 market, you may catch a little value on that number. Sebastian Munoz playing great this week, just shot 60 yesterday. Yeah. Um, any of these guys, like just anyone that you see in this bomb range, you've kind of got circled. Well, I think Munoz for sure. If, and it, if you're going to get them, you know, yeah. you got to get them early. Cause I think that number is probably going to shorten a little bit. Matt Jones. I like too, but yeah, Matt tends to play good too on difficult setups. You know, I, that's one thing I like about Matt Jones. Um, so I am a fan of him there. Um, 
nobody else really in this in this little area really you know i don't know doesn't doesn't look all that great right in this area yeah i think ultimately this thing probably finishes we saw eight under par the tiger year in 07 we saw eight under par winning at the pga championship the senior pga last year which was held at southern hills kind of get the feeling we're going to see eight to ten this year which is you know going to rule a lot of these guys out who are who are used to the typical pga tour birdie fest pat before i get you out of here where uh what do you guys got on tap for for tour junkies next week anything special planned for the pga well, you know, we'll have our uh, our course breakdown that David's doing. That'll be that's actually already out. Yeah. Um, and then uh, so that's going to be important. It's it's got a lot of good information on the course. Um, we'll have both our shows actually coming out early uh, the week of the PGA. Out they're coming out Sunday, so we'll have a betting show and the DFS show as well. So, um, you know, the normal chalk bomb email. You got to get that chalk bomb. So, uh, you know. What a polarizing email that is. I'm glad I'm not the writer of that email is all I can say. But uh, you guys you guys got a lot of haters on that bad boy. <laughs> oh yeah. If it oh, <laughs> if that if that chalk bomb hits, then uh, we definitely hear it. So uh I will mention also tour junkies in terms of the uh golf content game, the best merch out there. Uh you guys dropped some new stuff in the store, I see as well. Yeah, yeah, we got some cool new stuff. It's got a little Saved by the Bell theme to it. Um, awesome. Just to have some ha new hats dropping uh, later uh, this year. So, yeah, we always try to keep it keep it fresh there. DB the mastermind behind that, or is that your brainchild? Oh, uh, DB for sure. DB. Uh, we, got a, we got a few others that help us out, a few, few good listeners. So, Listen, great stuff that you guys put out there. I was happy to get you on the show this time. I know that typically we run into that same time slot. So thank you for recording early with me. Uh, best of luck next week. Check out Pat, as always, on the uh, Tour Junkies podcast and YouTube feed, all that good stuff. Maybe we get long shot season this week. We'll see, buddy. Would love it. Would love it. Thanks for having me on, Joe. I really appreciate it. Always love uh, watching and listening to you as well. You do great work. So we appreciate it. Thanks, Pat. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Joe.